Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. ready to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Methanex Corporation Q2 2021 earnings call. I would now like to turn the conference over to Ms. Kim Campbell. Please go ahead, Ms. Campbell. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our second quarter 2021 results conference call. Our 2021 second quarter news release, management's discussion and analysis, and financial statements can be accessed from the Reports tab of the Investor Relations page on our website at methanex.com. I would like to remind our listeners that our comments and answers to your questions today may contain forward-looking information. This information, by its nature, is subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause the stated outcome to differ materially from the actual outcome. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing the conclusions or making the forecasts or projections which are included in the forward-looking information. Please refer to our second quarter 2021 MD&A and to our 2020 annual report for more information. I would also like to caution our listeners that any projections provided today regarding Methanex's future financial performance are effective as of today's date. It is our policy not to comment on or update this guidance between quarters. For clarification, any references to revenue, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, cash flow or income made in today's remarks reflect our 63.1% economic interest in the Atlas facility and our 50% economic interest in the Egypt facility. In addition, we report our adjusted EBITDA and adjusted net income to exclude the mark-to-market impact on share-based compensation and the impact of certain items associated with specific identified events. These items are non-GAAP measures that do not have any standardized meaning prescribed by GAAP and are therefore unlikely to be comparable to similar measures presented by other companies. We report these non-GAAP measures in this way to make them a better measure of underlying operating performance, and we encourage analysts covering the company to report their estimates in this manner. I would now like to turn the call over to Methanex's president and CEO, Mr. John Florin, for his comments and a question and answer period. Thanks, Kim. Good morning, everyone. Today, I'm pleased to discuss our excellent second quarter 2021 financial results. In addition, we'll share our view of the methanol markets, review our operational results, and discuss our outlook entering the third quarter. We will also make a few remarks regarding our decision to restart construction on our Geismar 3 project, our strategic shipping partnership, and our priorities around capital allocation, including the recent announcement to increase the quarterly dividend. Then we will open up the call for your, for your questions. Returning to our financial results, we increased our average realized price in the second quarter to $376 per ton, a $13 increase compared to the first quarter. Adjusted EBITDA increased to $262 million in the second quarter, an increase of $20 million compared to the first quarter. We also recorded higher adjusted net income of $95 million, or $1.24 per share in the second quarter, an increase of $13 million, or $0.17 per share compared to the first quarter. These results illustrate the significant leverage that our earnings have to methanol prices. Now, turning to the methanol market, 
Over the last 12 months, methanol prices have rebounded as the global economic recovery continues and vaccines roll out worldwide. Current methanol industry dynamics are favorable, supported by strong methanol demand, low global inventory levels, ongoing industry supply challenges, and a constructive energy price environment. We estimate that the global demand, methanol demand increased by approximately 3% in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. We anticipate that global methanol demand will surpass pre-pandemic levels later this year. Strong methanol demand combined with ongoing industry supply challenges around the world and the delayed startup of new industry capacity additions supported higher prices in the second quarter with tight market conditions continuing into the third quarter. We estimate that the industry cost curve set in China has increased to approximately $300 to $320 per tonne supported by rising coal and natural gas prices. We recently posted our August prices, which remained at $542 per tonne in North America and $420 per tonne for Asia Pacific. We set our European contract price quarterly and our third quarter posted price is 410 euros or approximately $485 per tonne. As we mentioned on our call in mid-July, over the last few months, we completed a comprehensive review of the medium to long-term industry outlook. We reviewed our expectations for demand growth, the timing for new industry capacity additions, and industry operating rates for new and existing methanol plants over the coming years. Based on that work, we believe that the methanol industry medium-term outlook is positive, and new industry supply will be needed to meet growing methanol demand over the next five years. Now, turning to our operational results, our second quarter 2021 production of 1.5 million tons was lower than the first quarter, primarily due to the lower gas availability in New Zealand and Chile. In New Zealand, our production was lower in the second quarter compared to the first quarter due to ongoing lower gas deliveries. In addition, we agreed to a short-term commercial arrangement with Genesis Energy to make natural gas available to support a tight New Zealand electric electricity market. As a result, we temporarily aisled one of our Montanui plants for approximately three months. We expect the margin from the sale of gas will be offset the margin lost from the lower forecasted production volume of 85,000 tons. We estimate that production in New Zealand for 2021 of 1.4 million tons. The upstream gas sector is completing several field development projects that could improve gas availability over the coming years. In Geismar, our production in the second quarter was higher than the first quarter as we completed a planned turnaround at our Geismar II facility in the first quarter. We finished the debottlenecking project at our Geismar II plant in the second quarter of 2021, following the work completed at our Geismar I plant late in 2020. As a result, our operating capacity for our Geismar facilities is now 2.2 million tons on an annual basis, an increase of 10%. Completed for our capital costs were approximately $125 per tonne for the additional 200,000 tonnes of capacity. In Trinidad, our production in the second quarter was higher than the first quarter as we received full gas deliveries. Based on current gas deliveries, we estimate that production in Trinidad for 2021 to be 1.1 million tonnes, reflecting Methanex's equity interest. In Chile, as expected, our production in the second quarter was lower than the first quarter. We typically experience lower gas deliveries in the southern hemisphere winter months, impacting our second and third quarters. 
We should receive higher gas deliveries in the fourth quarter, and we estimate production in Chile for 2021 to be eight to 900,000 tons. In Egypt, our production in the second quarter was slightly lower than the first quarter due to minor technical issues that have been resolved. In Medicine Hat, our production in the second quarter was similar to the first quarter as the plant ran at nearly full operating rates. Now, turning to our balance sheet, we have a strong financial position with over $750 million in cash on our balance sheet at the end of the second quarter. This amount reflects our strong adjusted EBITDA results in the second quarter and the repayment of $173 million drawn on our G3 construction facility. We previously announced a strategic partnership, shipping partnership with Mitsui OSK Limited, or MOL, with the proceeds of $145 million expected by the end of 2021. This transaction will not have a material impact on our earnings. Our waterfront shipping subsidiary generates revenue from shipping methanol to Methanex customers and third-party backhaul arrangements. As a result of the partnership, MLL will be entitled to a proportional share of waterfront net earnings, which fluctuate based on ship volume and tanker market rates. However, in terms of our financial statements, our ownership of waterfront shipping now and after this transaction is complete is accounted for on a consolidated basis, resulting in 100% of the revenues and expenses being included in our financial statements. We continue to generate meaningful cash flow across a wide range of methanol prices and have an undrawn backup liquidity, including our $600 million G3 construction facility and our $300 million revolving credit facility. Now, turning to our Guidesmar 3 project, we are we were pleased to announce that our board unanimously approved the restart of the construction of our Geismar 3 project, a unique project with significant capital and operating cost advantages that enhance the project's returns. An abundant and low-cost natural gas supply in the U.S. underpins production for this project. In addition, we estimate that G3 will have one of the lowest CO2 emission intensity profiles in the industry. Ultimately, Geismar 3 will strengthen our asset portfolio and substantially improve our future cash generation capability. We believe that Geismar 3 will deliver significant long-term value to our shareholders. Our capital cost estimate for the project is $1.25 to $1.35 billion. We expect that approximately $435 million will be committed to the project as we end at, as of the end of Q3 2021 through the care and maintenance period. We expect approximately nine, $800 to $900 million of remaining capital costs after resuming construction in October 2021. We are confident in our ability to complete this project on time and on budget. We have substantially reduced the project execution risk profile over the last 24 months. We are well positioned from a labor perspective as, const as construction on our project is ahead of other major capital projects in the region. We have also secured prices for the majority of our bulk material costs. Our remaining budget includes allowances and contingencies for both escalation and the remaining risks on the project. And lastly, turning to our capital allocation priorities. Our capital allocation priorities remain the same. We use the cash that we generate to maintain our business, pursue value creative growth opportunities, and continue our strong record of returning cash, excess cash to shareholders. Going forward, we will increase our emphasis on financial flexibility in three ways. We plan to hold more cash, targeting a, targeting a minimum of $300 million of cash on hand, plus our remaining G3 capital costs during construction. 
We plan to target lower leverage and reduce our debt levels over time to a target of approximately three times debt to EBITDA at methanol prices between $275 to $300 per tonne. And we'll increase our weighting on flexible vehicles for distributions, such as share buybacks combined with sustainable dividend to return capital to shareholders. We recently announced that we reset our quarterly dividend to 12.5 cents per share. We anticipate that we'll have the ability to further delever and increase shareholder distributions such as share buybacks in a few quarters at methanol prices of approximately $325 a ton or higher. Geismar 3 is the only significant growth capital in our plans over the next few years. We expect that G3 will substantially increase our cash generation capability and support a significant increase in our future shareholder distribution potential. Now, turning to the outlook for the third quarter, we expect realized methanol prices in the third quarter of 2021 will be similar to the second quarter based on our posted prices so far. We forecast that our third quarter production will be similar to the second quarter. We anticipate our adjusted EBITDA results in the third quarter to be similar to the second quarter. Finally, I want to mention that we recently published our annual sustainability report. We have publicly reported on our sustainability performance since 1997 and continue to enhance our sustainability and ESG-related disclosure to align with evolving best practice and to support greater transparency and comparability. This year, our disclosures align with the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB, reporting standards for the chemical and marine transportation sectors. Also, our disclosures reference some aspects of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, and some requirements of the Global Reporting Initiative, or GRI. We will continue to look at ways that we can improve our sustainability performance and reporting over the coming years. I would now be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. And the first question is from Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Yeah, good morning, guys. John, just, just thinking about thinking about Chile specifically for a minute. Uh, you know, in the past, you've gone through the effort of refurbing Chile One and then starting Chile Four. This is all pre-COVID, uh, but just give us a sense for where the gas availability might lie there in the region right now, and any plans you might have over time to think about the two plant operation. Um, I understand that COVID required some reshuffling of the production asset profile, but just getting a sense for now that we're in recovery mode here, where you, where you think about that that complex going forward. Yeah, the gas profile in Argentina has improved a lot in the last 12 months. Uh, we're running our plant right now on Chile gas, and that profile has also improved in the last 12 months. So our expectation, Steve, today is by the third, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, that we'll be running both plants in, in Chile. Okay, great. That's that's very helpful. And just just can you clarify? I, I missed the number, but the, the the metric that you cited on the cost per ton to complete the G1, G2 to bottlenecking, uh, and, and just now that those two projects are now complete, um, any other debottlenecking projects that you might be contemplating across the portfolio? Thanks. 
Yeah, well, we're always looking to get more uh, methanol out of our existing kits. So we're always, you know, have lots of ideas that we, we look at and execute if they make sense. So we are continuing to look for other debottlenecking opportunities, but nothing to report today, Steve. Uh, the cost for completing the 200000 additional debottleneck in Geismar was $125 per ton. Very helpful. Thanks, Ethel. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. The next question is from Ben Isaacson from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you very much. Uh, first question is, given the uh, changing operating rates in your portfolio over the past year or so, can you update us as to what percentage of your sales go into each of the three or four major methanol markets, depending on whether you break China out of Asia or not? And uh, based on the review that you conducted of the methanol market uh, to restart G3, do you see G3 impacting your regional sales allocation in the future? How do you see that changing? Yeah, so we've earmarked 100% of G3 to go to Asia in the modeling that we've done for the economics and the IRR calculations that we've shared. Um, so that hasn't changed. So if we're able to do better than that and place some in the Atlantic Basin, obviously that makes the economics even more attractive than what we've already published, really attractive economics. We don't disclose, Ben, uh, where our product goes around the world. Um, it's a very fluid supply chain, and we move product uh, to optimize our, our net backs uh, as well as to, uh, you know, take advantage of certain spot you know, situations that may arise in different parts of the world and to balance out our supply chain and inventory. So we don't really disclose what product goes where. Thank you. And my follow-up is, can you just talk about how the freight market is impacting the company? Maybe discuss the magnitude of freight rates versus normal. Who's bearing the additional costs? Is it Methanex or is it built into prices? And I guess you being an active shipper and an owner of Waterfront, do you have an outlook in terms of how freight rates will evolve? Well, we wish they were a lot higher. I mean, despite what we're seeing in container markets and dry bulk, uh, liquid tankers for chemicals are still you know, not that great, below what I'd call average prices. So we'd like to see higher prices because um, uh, obviously we make more money with higher prices and we think we have a competitive advantage on our shipping. So uh, there seems to be still lots of tanker capacity in the world and we're not seeing the same thing that we're, uh, you know, the world is seeing on dry, dry bulk and containers. Great, thank you. Thank you. The next question is from John Roberts from UBS. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Um, thank you. Um, Lion Del Bissell had an unfortunate incident yesterday with their acetic acid plant. Um, does, do you, is that methanol unit running, do you know, and will that come into the uh, merchant market here until they can get the acetic acid uh, plant back up again? Yeah, I don't have any more information about that site than what's been reported in the press, and I haven't seen anything reported regarding operations. My understanding, based on what I've read, they were in planned turnaround for the acetic acid unit. So it was a plan, you know, and they were just starting the turnaround is what I understand, and that's why the contractors were entering the, the unit. Uh, I don't know any more than that, John. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Okay. You know, a really tragic event, and I think it really illustrates all the attention that we put on safety and process safety, and you can never take your eye off the ball because, you know, there was another event in Germany 
this week as well in Leverkusen where two two other people were were killed. So uh, really tragic events. And then um, since you just updated your longer-term industry outlook, what did you assume longer term for your gas-constrained plants? Did you do you assume an eventual restart at Titan or an eventual restart at Watera Valley um, in the in the longer term outlook, or how long do you wait before you think about other options for the, the equipment that's there? Yeah, we're optimistic that over time we'll get those plants uh, restarted. We put a little bit in our in our five-year outlook, but certainly not full rates uh, for for those two sites. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Joel Jackson from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi. Good morning, John. Um, a, couple, morning, Joel. A, couple, a couple questions. I'll go one by one. Um, John, thanks for giving the, the guidance for Q3. It looks like you're guiding to a 19% discount rate again in the third quarter, so a third quarter in a row of that. Is it fair to say that based on your contracts and what's going on here, that we should be modeling as a placeholder now, 19% discount rate, not 17. You know, last quarter you had said that the 19% discount rate, a little bit higher than 17, was because of uh, some weak Chinese spot prices. But Chinese spot prices rose a fair bit in the third quarter. Can you help us reconcile all this? Yes, yeah, so I'm not changing my guidance, Joel, on the discount rate at this time. If we think it's a permanent structural change, we'll certainly change the guidance. So I'm comfortable. On 17, and you know, I would look at the overall uh, net net back price. That's what we look at. 375 for the quarter was, you know, an excellent quarter and generated uh, over a billion dollar run rate. So uh, we're very happy with the realized price in the quarter, and you know, we're expecting strong pricing to continue uh, in the second half of this year. Thank you for that. So my other question is, I mean, obviously, different investors want different things. You know that being in this role for a long time, and you've laid out. And thank you for this a couple of weeks ago, what your strategy is will be around buybacks. You know, you want to make sure on your balance sheet you have your cash buffer. I think you said $300 million, and then you won't have enough cash on the balance sheet built up to, 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 to finish G3. So, you know, what I have a question for you is, you know, looking at what the share price is doing, there's a clear valuation dis- disconnect, I think, between the stock price and where your earnings and free cash flow power are, where commodity price levels are. Typically, the finance book says you should be doing share buybacks, right? You should be going to the market, buying your stock, and reducing that disconnect. You have G3. It makes sense while you're doing it. But does this all make you think about maybe changing some of your thoughts that maybe you should take on a bit more risk and buy back stock a bit earlier before having all the cash for G3 on the balance sheet? Yeah, so our, our financial uh, strategy has not changed. I mean, we fine-tuned it, as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago. But uses for cash that's generated from the business are to maintain the, the, the business, grow the business with value-creative projects like G3, and then return excess cash to shareholders. Um, the slight tweak is to have a little bit less on a fixed uh, return to shareholders, so we reset the dividend at 12 and a half and had more flexibility to return cash in a flexible way to shareholders. So at $325 per ton, and higher methanol realized prices, we think in a few quarters as we delever a little bit and increase a little bit of cash on the balance sheet for G3, that we'll be able to enter into a share buyback. But uh, our policy of, of, of borrowing money uh, is, is not to buy back shares. So any cap money that we borrow um, is, is for um, 
the project G3s. And, you know, remind you, we did change our strategy there during COVID where our plan was to use the construction loan and to draw on it as, as we uh, continued on the project. And with COVID, we decided to, and then replace that, sorry, the construction loan with bonds over time. And we decided to, because the markets were open last September, to just go out and get all the bonds at that time. So that's why we have, you know, quite a bit of cash on our balance sheet. But it's allocated for G3, and we're not going to use it to buy back shares. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Eric Petrie from City. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning. Methanex has posted methanol price spread between Asia and North America is kind of at a record of roughly $100 a ton. So how do you think about it? Is it sustainable? And, you know, going forward, you know, how do you see that level trending? Yeah, we, we, we've said for a number of years, despite lots of analysts writing to the contrary, that we think the basin balances and the price differentials will continue and, and they are uh, higher than we would have even uh, assumed and that's based on you know production issues in the Atlantic Basin so um, how long this you know record I don't know if it's a record but it is on the higher end of the of the of the differential goes it really depends on what we and our competitors do uh, with with product that we're producing in the Atlantic Basin so I can't predict what our competitors are going to do we know what we're going to do, and uh, we would expect that the basin differentials to continue, maybe not at the current levels, but they will continue. Okay, helpful. And as my follow-up question, you know, you, you mentioned the higher China coal prices and natural gas prices. I think, you know, coal was trading around 1,000 RMB per metric ton, um, you know, double that uh, from from recent lows. So. How do you see prices of coal going forward in the cost curve evolving into 2022? Yeah, there's coal remains quite, you know, we understand not, not readily available in China and they're consuming a lot for our generation. So uh, if economic activity continues, we would expect coal to continue to be, you know, priced uh, higher than what we were thinking. There's two markets in China for coal, let's remember. You know, there's the, the power generation market, which is really set by the government, and that's not anywhere near a thousand RMB per ton. And then there's the spot market or the the other traded market, which where chemicals and others uh, get their coal. And you know, the, the reason it's a thousand is because of uh, supply demand fundamentals. You're right to point out gas is really shot up not only in North America. You know, it's almost close to four dollars an MMBTU now, but in in Europe, it's at $12, and nobody was predicting that uh, a year ago, and that's really impacted uh, methanol uh, methanol production in Europe. There's, you know, two, two plants in Holland. Uh, one is shut down, and the other one is operating at minimal rates because of the high gas prices, and, you know, it's hard, it's hard to see at this point that those gas prices coming down in the, in the near future based on the, on the inventories uh, that we see in, in the United States, but you know, these things have a way of changing quickly, and nobody predicted $12 gas, but I, I think it's a function of, you know, a couple of years of 150 gas, you know, with, with no investment. So, you know, I always say the cure for high prices is high prices, and the cure for low prices is low prices, and that's what we see in commodities. Great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Hassan Ahmad from Alembic 
Global Advisors. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Morning, John. Um, John, a question on demand. You know, you mentioned sequentially global demand was up, according to your estimates, by, uh, I believe, 3%. And if I remember correctly, sequentially in Q1, um, <coughs> demand was, uh, uh, was down. Um, so, so the question is, um, you know, what are you guys seeing or what are you forecasting in terms of demand growth for the remainder of the year? And I guess where I'm going with this question is that, you know, again and again, you mentioned it, uh, a bunch of other chemical companies mentioned it, uh, you know, about uh, obviously uh, supply chain disruptions uh, that have happened over the last couple of months, um, you know, inventories being lean, uh, people sort of backfilling sort of orders, you know, probably a function of winter storm URI as well. So just trying to get a sense of, you know, where you feel underlying demand is and could we even expect a further bump up from this 3% uh, that we saw in Q2? You know, like I said in my remarks, we expect, you know, to get back to pre-pandemic levels later this year. So that is increased demand. In Q3, there are some MTO plants that are taking some planned maintenance. The MTO industry has been operating at really high rates for a couple of years. You know, and in Q2, they operated at 92%, which is above our even estimates. So, we, you know, we expect to have them to have some maintenance, which could impact demand. But we expect demand to continue to grow uh, through the second half of this year. A couple of applications that are still lagging are the fuels applications. MTBE, biodiesel, those kinds of applications, because we're still not seeing uh, globally a, re a return to normal driving habits because of the pandemic. So, you know, we expect those to improve um, as we get back to more normal habits as people are vaccinated and the pandemic is, is, is brought under somewhat of a control. Understood. And, and uh, the other side of the equation on the supply side, obviously a healthy pricing environment, uh, and pricing continues to take up, um, you know, obviously you guys announced, uh, you know, the restart of or, or, or work on Geismar 3, but what are you guys seeing, broadly speaking, in terms of the broader industry supply response? And, uh, you know, are you seeing any sort of uh, uh, project delays or maybe even, you know, people sort of ratcheting up their plans in terms of bringing online uh, new supply? Yeah, I think, you know, having the price environment that we just come through for almost two years, a lot of projects that were being thought about were shelved or canceled altogether. Um, we, you know, we expect the Coke plant to run at some point. You know, we understand that, you know, they ran for a bit in July, uh, but they will they'll get lined up and run at some point during this year is our current expectation. Um, beyond that, we have a bit of supply coming on in Iran. How it runs is anybody's uh, guess. Certainly the track record has not been great. And then China will add a bit of capacity in the Inner Mongolia, uh, backward integrate a couple of uh, MTO plants, and some other plants will come out as, you know, more and more restrictions on, on, on the east coast of China. So net-net, we're, we're not expecting you know, much new supply beyond what's coming in uh, from Coke and Iran over the, over the coming three to five years. Understood. Very helpful, John. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Nelson Ng from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Great. Uh, thanks. Good morning, John. Uh, morning. Just a, lot, just a quick question for you. So you mentioned earlier that you were optimistic on 
uh, gas availability in the uh, various regions going forward. Uh, in New Zealand in particular, I think gas production has been pretty low this year. Uh, do you have any color on production levels going forward in terms of uh, like production issues, uh, drilling activity, and whether current prices are like incentivizing more exploration? Yeah, I'll remind you the gas in New Zealand is very wet gas. So there are lots of barrels of liquids with, you know, an oil price of 70 that really helps the economics and, you know, they're really going after the liquids. So that higher energy complex in general is positive for our business. And, you know, that's one of the reasons it incentivizes more uh, exploration and development. Yeah, the situation in New Zealand really was, what the, you know, the Poco Hero field failed and lost 30% of its production, you know, late last year. And, Nobody was expecting that, and that's caused the, the gas market to tighten up quite substantially. Uh, the current situation in their winter as well, they had a lack of rainfall, which is leading to lower than expected hydro power. It's rained again in New Zealand, so that situation is, is behind us now. Um, and there's drilling going on. I think that's the positive thing for us is that, the, you know, the upstream uh, owners of the field, Maui and Pokhara, are, are drilling and planning to drill more. So... We'll know a little bit more in the next 12 months, uh, the results of those drilling. And uh, like I said, we're, you know, we're certainly contracted for two plants for the, to the end of the decade. We're optimistic, uh, you know, the drilling will be successful and we'll, we'll see uh, the third plant have a, a reasonable opportunity to, to start up as well. Um, you know, this is not new in New Zealand. We've seen this before and, uh, you know, they, they pretty well develop the reserves as the, as the country needs them. So, uh, yeah, we're optimistic, but really, you know, I think we'd be modeling a two-plan operation at this point um, until we see the results of what's happening in the upstream. Great. Thanks for the additional color. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Thank you. The next question is from Lawrence Alexander from Jefferies. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi there. Could you give an update on um, what line of sight you have to the amount of global shipping capacity that is ordered or under construction that would use methanol as a flex fuel and what that could mean for methanol demand over the next four or five years. And similarly, what you're seeing in the Chinese um, industrial boiler uh, market developments. Yeah, so we have eight of our own ships on order. Um, ProMan, our competitor out of Trinidad, has six, and Mayersk has one. Uh, that's what's on, on order at this time, but lots of other interests. So it takes about two years to build a ship, Lawrence. So, you know, I don't know how many more orders are going to be placed in the next uh, few years, but we would expect more. Uh, each ship around, a, you know, a 50,000 deadweight vessel uh, running on methanol 100% of the time would consume between 10 and 12,000 tons. So you can do the math there. As far as boilers, yeah, we continue to see that market uh, replacing coal, uh, but there's other potentials, natural gas as well, and, and diesel. So that market continues to be, you know, a couple of million to three million tons uh, of methanol demand, and we would expect it to, to grow. And do you have a sense um, in your more industrial or formaldehyde applications and so forth, what the kind of level of pent-up demand is? Um, I mean, downstream companies are talking about having lost 1% to 2% of volume because of supply chain issues, but there's probably some kind of multiplier effect when we get back up to the commodities that you supply. 
or support? Yeah, I, I'd be guessing, Lawrence, and I probably don't have a good guess, but I would agree with the assumptions there's pent up demand. Yep, thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Matthew Blair from Tudor Pickering Holt. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, uh, good morning, John. Um, it looks like Trinidad natural gas production is down about 21% uh, year-to-date versus the same period last year. Um, you, you raised your Trinidad volume guidance pretty meaningfully. Um, so is that just good work from your procurement team, or is there anything else going on there? No, we've been being supplied 100% of our gas allocation for Atlas, uh, you know, for most of the year, and that's what we've been told to expect for the balance of the year, and that's the guidance we provided. Great, sounds good. And then um, on our model, and your implied costs seem to drift up a little bit in Q2. Would you would you agree? And were there any factors that you can point to? And then as we look at Q3, um, and just thinking about the the higher net gas environment in the U.S. I, I know you're hedged, but could you talk about, you know, whether this would be, you know, something we should be thinking about for Q3 modeling? Yeah, nothing abnormal in our cost structure. Uh, you know, quarter to quarter, some there could be a few things here or there, but nothing really. Our cost structure is actually quite a bit lower than it was last year, as we've taken a lot of steps to reduce it. And as far as, yeah, you're right, we, we've uh, hedged about 70% of our requirements for G1 and G2. So we're exposed about 30% to the spot market. So depending on what price you're using for Q3 versus what you were having your model, you know, it would impact us by about 30% of our gas requirements. Great. Thanks for the color. You're welcome. Thank you. The next question is from Roland Roche from Crown Extra Investments. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, good morning, Sean. How are you? Good morning. Good. Thanks. Well, congratulations on another good quarter. Um, I would like to ask a two-pronged question around liquidity and uh, capital returns. Um, also coming back to one of your comments previously around there is quite a bit of cash on your balance sheet. So if I run the updated numbers, I see that the company has paid down $200 million in debt so far this year. It's on over $750 million in cash. If I perform the shipping transaction, that's around $900 million in cash, plus there's a $900 million in lines of credits with the $300 million undrawn RCF and the $600 million unutilized construction loan. So that gets me to a total of $1.8 billion of liquidity. And then you just guided for another Q3 uh, in line. So I assume we are looking at $2 billion in cash and lines of credits by the end of September versus a total Q3 that's only kicking in next year of eight to nine hundred. Um, so why do you and your board do not think the shareholders deserve a larger dividend or a clear share buyback program? And, and I want to come back to one comment you made on your recent announcement on a call where you know, what prices you would start buy back the shares. Um, obviously, we're on uh, year-to-date lows. So do you consider the current share price level as attractive to buy back shares? Thank you. Yeah, it's attractive to buy back shares, the current price level. Uh, I would agree with that. We stated pretty clearly our financial strategy around what we want to do with our balance sheet and returning cash to, to shareholders. That hasn't changed. So we want to maintain $300 million of cash 
plus uh, the additional whatever G3 spend is left on the balance sheet. And once we've achieved that, we will start to return more cash to shareholders flexibly like we've described, and that could, would include buybacks. Uh, we reset the dividend and uh, fixed dividend at 12.5 cents, and our plan hasn't changed. Uh, we'll grow the company, and we've, you know, over the last 10 years, grown the company in double, spending about $3 billion, and we've returned over $2 billion to shareholders in the same period through dividends and buybacks. So our, our balanced approach is the same. Right now, we're uh, spent, you know, having cash generation going towards the G3 project in addition to what's on our balance sheet. Um, and once that is achieved, then we will look to return cash to shareholders. So nothing's really changed. Okay. Thank you. The next question is from Sherilyn Radburn from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thanks very much and good morning. Um, in terms of the outlook for methanol supply, I was hoping you could give some perspective on what you think the current environment is like to contemplate a new methanol plant as far as being able to lock in a fixed cost with an EMC partner in light of inflationary pressure and what sort of price that financial institutions might be prepared to lend on? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Obviously, that's going to impact us as well post-G3. So it's something we look at all the time. Uh, you know, we may have some other brownfield opportunities, but if we're assuming greenfield, there's two projects that have been recently completed that are public information around, and that's the Coke methanol plant that's in the process of starting up and the OCI nat gasoline plant. Um, both of them are around 1.7 to 1.8 million tons, give or take, and they were well north of $2 billion to complete based on public information that we saw. So if you use those numbers, that's public, that's over $1,100 a ton. And assuming gas pricing in the three to 350 range and a double digit return of around 10 to 11%, you would need $400 methanol to get uh, or higher to get that return. So, uh, you know, we, we certainly like and we, we love $400 methanol for 20 years to get a payback on a project like that. But, you know, we've seen quite a bit of volatility in the last 12 years in, in our commodity. And I think that would, you know, if I'm a bank looking to lend money to a potential project with those kinds of, you know, returns and, you know, what you need on methanol price, it seems in the hard to do category, but uh, having said that, there's lots of seems to be lots of money out there trying to find a home. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But those are the kind of the numbers, Cheryl. And then um, second one is just could you speak to the company's confidence in the view that MTO demand for methanol will be stable over the coming five years? Yeah. Well, I guess we can only look at what has happened in that industry and 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 what's been going on in a high price and low price environment. So, you know, the industry started up, you know, four or five years ago. That was what we called the first wave, which is just about being completed now. There's a couple more plants that one is, you know, close to completion and one, you know, will probably get completed in the next couple of years. And that's what we call the first wave. And as the first wave was being uh, uh, commissioned, there was a second wave. And uh, certainly with oil prices in the $40 range and NAPTA in the $400 range, uh, it made more sense to look to NAPTA crackers than to MTO plants. So 
we never expected the second wave and uh, you know we're not we're not anticipating so what we think will happen is what's there will run uh, we have 85 to 90 percent operating rates and you know I think we can only go on in history when we had 400 plus methanol pricing in 2018 they all ran at high rates when we had a low low open cycle last year because of COVID they ran at high rates and they continue to run at high rates so it's something we watch very closely because uh, it is a big demand driver for methanol and uh, like like most things it's hard to predict the future but based on what we've seen today we would expect that 85 to 90 percent operating rate that's my cue thanks thank you the next question is from Chris Shaw from Monas Crespi. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Good morning, John. How are you doing? Good morning. Good um, If one were to take a really pessimistic view on, I guess, global uh, gas availability going forward um, outside of, say, your medicine hat, guys more, what, can you remind me what uh, both the potential for moving any of your other plants, uh, a la the first two guys more plants, or, um, you know, to a, another site, and it doesn't have to be, I guess, guys more specifically, but, you know, not only the potential, but I guess uh, uh, the economics, and, I mean, is that a possibility at all on any of those plants in the future? I would say very unlikely. Um, you know, when we looked at the kit that we have in the other locations, the way it was built, the way it's uh, installed, pretty expensive to move. We had a unique opportunity. We had two twin plants in Chile, and the way they were built, uh, we could lift them up and move them. But I think that was unique to Chile one and uh, sorry to Chile two and three, which are now Geismar one and two. Um, but you know, it, you know, we look at things all the time. But right now, our our focus is to get those plants running and where they are, and uh, we're not giving up any hope yet that we won't be able to achieve. Um, you know, gas contracts to allow us to run all of our kit uh, over time. So we've seen this in the history of our company. I mean, we didn't have any production in North America for the longest time, and we're going to have, you know, four and a half million here pretty soon, 4.7, I guess, with the debottlenecking. So, um, yeah, so we're, our, our focus is trying to get those plants running based on gas there and, and not moving them at this time. Thanks. And then just a reminder, do you know... Uh I could probably done the math, but not off the top of my head. But the uh, your cost per ton for Geismar three relative to what it would be for the when you say Geismar two, when you moved that, is they similar or is one lower? No, about the same. We've got it to you know a bit lower, but you know not not significantly. And right. that's modeling it going to Asia, as I because you know the gas efficiency on the Geismar three plant is is much superior to Geismar one and two. Okay, got it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And the last question is from Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Yeah, hey, John, just one quick follow-up, if I may. How do you feel about your human resources capabilities across the existing operating complex today? It strikes me that everywhere we look, we're hearing about strained labor resources, both skilled and unskilled. I'm not so focused on the G3, but just on your existing operating complex today. Are you are you well positioned right now? Or are you looking for people? How, how should we think about that and whether you're you know well positioned going forward here? 
Yeah, one, one of the benefits that we've enjoyed in our company is a low turnover rate. I mean, if you compare our turnover rate on average to the in industry, uh, not just methanol, but chemicals and other industry, industry applications like that, we were very low. So, you know, we're, we, that doesn't mean we don't have turnover and retirements are becoming a bigger and bigger issue, as, uh, especially in the Western countries, as, as, a, as we tend to be aging to retirement age. Uh, so uh, I, I don't have any concern today that we're, uh, you know, at risk of not being able to run our plants efficiently because of labor, but it's something we talk about all the time. Um, so things like diversity, inclusion are really important to our company and to really expand our, our labor potential where, where we can look for new team members is really, really important. And each region's a little unique. Uh, you know, Trinidad, we have all kinds of labor today because of what's happened uh, in, on that island. In Egypt, we're an employer of choice. And certainly, you know, I, I'm not concerned in the short term, but it's something we think about all the time and we want to make sure that we're a great place to work. We, you know, we pay, pay good wages and that we have people stay for a long, long time. And uh, we're not planning on changing that strategy and philosophy. Okay, great. That's helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Okay, well, thanks. Uh, we're very pleased to share our excellent financial results with you today. We continue to generate meaningful cash flow across a wide range of methanol prices. Our capital allocation priorities remain the same. We use the cash that we generate to maintain our business, pursue value or creative growth opportunities, and continue our strong track record of returning excess cash to shareholders. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll speak with you again in October, and thank you for the interest in our company. Thank you. The conference is now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.